Everybody couldn't hear. Miss Beth was talking about how she has a family member <clears throat> whose the Lord is improving on cancer, and the Lord has used that to save her. You know, I was just thinking this whole plague of cancer that we have in our culture. Can you imagine how many people the Lord has used cancer to save them? Maybe it's a mercy from the Lord. Maybe He's just calling people to Himself by those trials. That's what happened with my mama and with me. I, I uh, came to know the Lord through her cancer. <clears throat> As horrible as it is, 296, 296 in the hymnal, everybody. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercies, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, Here's each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter, and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. <clears throat> All the way my Savior leads me, oh, the fullness of His love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed the mortal, wings its flight to realms of day. This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. Amen. <clears throat> well, we changed it up a little bit this morning. Miss Sue said, why don't we do what manner of man is this? So said, that sounds great. Can y'all stand up? Because this is not a this is not a sit down song. <laughs> I'm sure most of you know it. If you don't, just tap your toes or your heels or clap your hands or something and learn along with it. One manner of man is this who died upon the tree. One manner of man is this who set the captives free. Well, he walked upon the water. And he calmed the rage of sea. What manner of man is this who gave his life to me? Prophets called him Emmanuel, the prophets called him Stone. But the angel called him Jesus before he was born. The world upon his shoulders, he was walking all alone. He was seen. Coming from Bozrah with dyed garments on. What manner of man is this who died upon the tree? What manner of man is this who set the captives?
captives free Well, he walked upon the water And he calmed the raging sea What manner of man is this Who gave his life for me Ezekiel saw him coming In a wheel, in a wheel And John talked about him With the book of the seven seals And Paul gave his description As brighter than the sun If you don't know his name, Lord Then you had better run What manner of man is this Who died upon the tree What manner of man is this Who said captives free he walked upon the water and he calmed the raging sea what manner of man is this who gave his life for me all right i tell you what can y'all keep up are y'all able to keep up with this or do we need to slow it down a little bit no keep up well then y'all sing with me now come on if you can keep up i want to hear you all right here we go verse three Thomas, doubt me no more, see these holes in my side. Behold, I am your Savior, by Peter thrice denied. And now that I am risen, with all power in my hand, go and preach my gospel to every living man. What manner of man is this, who died upon the tree? set the captives free he walked upon the water and he calmed the raging sea what manner of man is this who gave his life for me what manner of man is this who died upon the tree what manner of man is this who set the captives free well he walked upon the water and he calmed the raging sea what manner of man is this who gave his life for me? Amen. Amen. That's awesome. <clears throat> if you are able to remain standing, why don't you stay standing up? If you can't, feel free, please, to sit down. But stand up if you can, and Brother Bill and Miss Lynn are going to come up. <laughs> found in the hymnal is page 475 if you need the hymnal but the lyrics should be up we're going to be talking to you next week god willing about the greatest event in the history of mankind which is the resurrection of our lord jesus christ and because he came out of the grave he said because i live you shall live also so we are redeemed let's sing it ready
this child and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the that we've known a long time ago, uh, William R. Cruz and his wife. Uh, Miss Frida Cruz has uh, taught me, well, I, when I came to know the Lord, I sat in her Sunday school class, okay? And she really taught a lot of scripture to us. And um, I recently got back in touch with her, and she will soon be 80-something years old. I don't know, 87 and she is, uh, Joe knows her and Linda knows her, uh, but she's had a few strokes, and so she's homebound, and she said she was going to put us on this week and listen to the message and see if Bill was preaching the gospel, <laughs> and I said, well, I know he is, but you give me your whatever you think, Miss Cruz, <laughs> so we want to say hello to her this morning and we also want to pray how many of y'all know Mike Smiley Kay Horton's brother he is the funniest guy that I've ever met in my life I just laugh every time I look at him I laugh but anyway um, he has been very ill here lately uh, and uh, which is unusual for Mike because he's a natural all the way, but uh, he they're telling him that he has cancer, from prostate cancer to liver cancer, so he's in a hospice care, and I want y'all to pray for him, that God might restore him, lift him up, uh, make him all new again, because he's a great spirit, I love Mike, he's a mess, so just pray for him, please, Mike Smiley, that's Todd Horton's uncle. So he's sort of connected with all of us here. Let's remember Mike before the Lord, Mike Smiley. And we're glad. I think, is Kay here today? Yes. Where? All right, that's just Kay. We're so glad to see you. We praise the Lord that she's able to be with us today. And that's her brother. Let's remember Mike. Here's another song about I'm redeemed. Oh. 
you can tell them old Bill is doing fine. Yeah. You tell them the last time you saw me, I was lifting my hand, giving God the praise. Cause I've been redeemed. Say it with us. insight, believe me, as I'm going to show you in just a minute, you can't understand the Word of God unless the Spirit of the Lord enlightens you. He must enlighten you. So we're appealing to the Father in the name of the Son to send His Spirit among us this morning. Father, I stretch my standing just a moment for the reading of Scripture. So good to see all of you today, and I hope that you have had a good week, and that your week was spent looking to the Lord, serving the Lord, calling on the Lord, walking with the Lord. The times are becoming very dangerous, and more than ever, we need to be looking to Him. Genesis chapter 39, I plan on this being probably the last study regarding the faith of Joseph. I should have titled this study, uh, The Yamatakos Man, and I'll explain what that is in just a minute. But this is the third study on the secret of prospering while suffering. 
under the general theme, the story of Joseph. Genesis 39, verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the prisoners were bound, and there he was in the prison, but the Lord was with him, showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it prosper. May the Lord add his blessings on the reading of his word, and let God's people say, praise the Lord. And you may be seated. Now I want you to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at two passages. I'll be quoting other passages to you, but we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 10. I said that I could have titled this particular study, the Eumatocost man, and I'll explain that to you momentarily. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man, I'm reading from the King James Version. You may have another version. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Now you notice that Spirit there is capitalized because that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, notice verse 12, back up a little bit. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, a lowercase s there, because that's not the Holy Spirit, but we have received the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now, the Bible says that there are two kinds of people or persons with regard to our salvation, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are two types of persons. There is what's called the natural man here in chapter 14, uh, chapter, uh, verse 14, chapter 2 the natural man, and then there's what's called the spiritual man. Now, this word translated natural, at least in the King James uh, Version, or even in your version, whatever, however they may have translated it, it, it's a Greek word, sukikos. And this word sukikos, translated natural, means the sensual man. Have you ever seen people who are acting more like animals than they are like human beings? That's the word right here for the natural man. 
but the sensual man. It means a person who is displaying more of a beastly type of lifestyle, action, attitude, than the God who made them. This is the word sukikos, translated natural. The natural man is the man who is walking after the flesh. He is under the power and the appetite and passions of what we call the flesh. The man without God. That's a sukikos man. But in verse 14, he speaks of another type man. And that's the pneumatikos man. That's the spiritual man. The spiritual man is the man who has the Spirit of God. His spirit has been made alive, and the Spirit of God resides in him. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. John chapter 4, verse 24. So the spiritual man, the pneumatikos man, that's the man that is filled with and governed by the Spirit of God. Now, when I say filled, don't get a wild idea about somebody jumping up and down, running the aisles. You're filled with the Spirit of God. The Lord Jesus Christ compared the Spirit in John chapter 3, when he was speaking to Nicodemus, he compared the Spirit to the wind that blows. And he says, you don't see it? You can hear if it's blowing through the trees. You can uh, feel the effects of it. You can see the effects of it. But uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you're jumping up and down and running up and down the road. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit, said our Lord Jesus Christ to Nicodemus. We have been so misled about the things of the Spirit of God that now we conjure up all kinds of images in our minds when somebody speaks about being indwelt by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and we're, think, we're thinking that that's what it means, and that's not what it means at all. That's not what it means at all. The Spirit of God is the third person of the Godhead, and He moves silently, and like the wind, you can tell when he's been around because there are effects. There are, you see the trees doing this. You hear that noise. Last week there was some strong wind. We could hear that noise blowing through the trees. But I never saw the wind. I just saw the effects of it. Right now, Jesus said to his disciples, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, means wind, breath, or spirit. That's from the Greek term. That's transliterating the Greek term, pneuma. It means a wind, breath, or spirit. You don't see the words coming out of my mouth, but you hear them. You hear the sounds that I'm making, and you relate to them because you understand the language that I'm speaking. Now, the Spirit of God is an invisible, sovereign person who is not seen. Jesus said, he shall not speak of himself, but he shall glorify me. The Spirit of God moves us to turn to Christ. 
to look to Christ, to trust in Christ, to walk with Christ. He reveals the glory of Christ to us. He doesn't speak of himself. So you've got the Sukikos man, that's the natural man, that's the sensual man, that's the fleshly man, and you've got the pneumatikos man, that's the spiritual man. Now, Joseph is a spiritual man. Joseph is a spiritual man. So, this leads us into our study. What does that mean? I've explained the, the words, but what does that mean in terms of a general description? Number one, it means he is a man who has the gift of receiving the things of the Spirit of God. You see it says here in verse 14, the natural man, the sukikos man, the sensuous man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't know them because they have to be spiritually discerned, and he doesn't have a spirit to discern them. You follow me? You know, I like Ray Stevens. But he's wrong about that song, Turn Your Radio On. He's wrong about that. A, a, a radio is a receiver. Is that, isn't that right? It receives the signals from an AM station, an FM station, or maybe serious radio station. We are born without a receiver. And I have never in my life, as long as I have lived, I've never seen a radio turn itself on. Have you? I've never seen a radio turn itself on. Someone else has to turn the radio on before it can receive. Right? Now, I think the song says something like everybody's a radio receiver. And all you got to do is listen for the call. But what do you do? How do you listen for the call if you're deaf? How do, you, how do you see the call or even know the call's coming if you're blind? Tell me this. What does a dead man know? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, he wrote to the, to, to the Ephesians and he said, you know what? You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, I know we use expressions like, man, I feel like I'm half dead. But you ain't half dead. You're either alive or you're dead. Isn't that right? Yeah, you're alive or you're dead. Now, the Bible says that man is born, since the fall of Adam, he's born dead in trespasses and sins. He's born without a receiver. That's why it says here, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Why doesn't he receive them? He doesn't have a receiver to receive them. I don't know what frequency God is on, but people don't have a receiver to receive it, whatever signals. We can see evidence of God. We can look at the, uh, the created world, Romans chapter 1. We can see the stars. We can see the sun. We can see the moon. We can, now we can see the galaxies. And uh, we have evidence of God. But we can't know him without a receiver. So let me go back to the point. What is a spiritual man? Joseph is a spiritual man, and he is a man who has the gift of receiving the things of the Spirit of God. 
So that brings up a second question. What is that? Well, a man who has the gift of receiving the things of the Spirit of God is a man who has, or a woman, or a boy, or a girl, who has the gift of faith. You receive the things of God through the gift of faith. Faith is the receiver of the things of the Spirit of God. Again, God is Spirit, John 4, verse 24. And we receive the things of God through faith. Now, how did Joseph get this faith by which he received the things of the Spirit of God? Now, turn to Romans chapter 10. You go back the other way. Don't, uh, don't be embarrassed to look into the content, table of contents of your Bible to find out what page Romans is on, and then you can find chapter 10, Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> How did Joseph get this faith by which he received the things of the Spirit of God? I want us to be like Joseph. I want us to be spiritual men and women, spiritual boys and girls. How did he get this faith by which he received the things of the Spirit of God? Here it is, verse 17, Romans chapter 10, says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of of God. The Lord sent his word to Joseph, and I've explained to you, if you didn't get the last couple of studies, you can order those, there's no charge for them. I've explained to you that Joseph was a Shama, S-H-A-M-A, a Shama hearer. That means he heard with a spirit of receiving and doing and being obedient to what the Lord said to him. You see, with that word comes the power to respond to it. When Jesus went to the grave of Lazarus, let's use him as an example. Lazarus had been dead for four days. And before he went up to the grave, Martha and Mary said, Jesus, by this time, Lord, his, his body is stinking. He's been dead four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then he said to those who stood by, take away the stone. Lazarus was buried in kind of a cave with a stone in front of it. Take away the stone. And then Jesus said to the Father, Father, I know that you hear me always. But I have said what I have said for the sake of those who are here, that they may believe that you have sent me. And then he said to the dead man, who had no eyes to see, no ears to hear, no life to respond, he said, Lazarus! Said he said it with a loud voice. You know, you got to holler loud at a deaf man. 
He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead, still wrapped in the grave clothes, came walking out of the grave. Don't you know the people who were standing there? Every one of them had to go to the doctor for high blood pressure. Good gracious alive. Here's a dead man walking out, and he's still wrapped up in the grave clothes. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Brother, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to your house, you're loosed. You are loosed, and he will let you go. Now, when he came to the grave of Lazarus, did Lazarus have any ability whatsoever to respond to that command? He did not. Not in and of himself. But Jesus is the Word of God incarnate. That is, he's the Word of God in the flesh. He's the Word of God who became a man. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was nothing made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's all in John's Gospel, chapter 1. So the eternal Word of God, the Word that created the universe... The word that said, let there be light, and there was light. That word invaded history as a human being in order that he might have blood to offer up himself as a substitute, as a sacrifice, as a payment for sinners. Okay? So when, when Jesus went to the grave and he said, Lazarus, come forth, he is the word of God and he sends a word to Lazarus and with that word goes the power, the life, the energy to give Lazarus the ability to respond to the command. See, there's life in the word of God. It's dangerous to hear the Word of God. Dangerous. Because if you hear the Word of God and you shun it, you throw it off, you won't receive it, it has this effect on you. It will harden you. It'll harden you. It's like when you get a callus on your hand. You rub your hand on something, keep rubbing it, keep rubbing it, keep rubbing it. The skin thickens in order to protect itself, and you get a callus. You get a blister, then you get a callus. <clears throat> when you hear the Word of God, if you don't receive it, if you say, I don't want anything to do with that, it'll harden you. As I've said a million times, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. And the same word, Paul says, that is sent forth his good news to some, he says, it's a savor of life unto life. Savor means smell, aroma. It smells like life. It smells sweet. It smells wonderful. But to others, he says, it's a savor of death unto death. It smells, they don't like the smell of it. They don't like the, what they're hearing. They don't like what they're seeing. They don't like what they're sensing when they hear the word of God. So when, 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 when Jesus went to that tomb 
And he said, Lazarus, come forth. With the command went the power to give Lazarus the ability to respond to the command. You got that? So how did Joseph get this faith by which he received the things of the Spirit of God? He heard the Word of God, as it says in Romans 10, 17, and he received it. He was a Shema hero. See, the Bible teaches us that unless we bow to the Word of God, unless we are willing to hear what God has said, we haven't heard. We've only heard with these ears, but we haven't heard with the spiritual ear in your heart. That's why Jesus said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He said that over and over and over again. All right. So Joseph heard the Word, that is, he received it, Now, he didn't hear an audible voice. The word of God came to Joseph through the promises of God. The promises of God in the word of God came to Joseph by means of his father, Jacob, who taught him the word of God, his grandfather, Isaac, and his great-grandfather, Abraham, to whom those promises were originally made. Now, hear what I'm saying here now. The dreams of Joseph. Remember we studied his dreams? The dreams of Joseph only underscored the Word of God. Joseph's dreams revealed how the promises of the Word of God would be carried out. But as we read in the book of Genesis, neither Joseph nor his father nor his brothers understood the dreams when they were given, but they understood the word of God and his promises that came down from Abraham that God was going to send them into Egypt and after 400 years he was going to deliver them. They understood that. They understood that. So my friends, don't waste your time with dreams. Study and memorize and meditate upon the Word of God. The foundation of Joseph's faith was the Word of God, not his dreams. The Word of God is always accompanied, always accompanied by the Spirit of God who is its author. I never say that men authored the Bible. I say men wrote the Bible, but the author of the Bible is the Spirit of God. It's important that we make that distinction. And so the question, how did Joseph get this faith by which he received the things of the Spirit of God? The Lord sent his word to Joseph. Joseph heard the word of God sent to him as he received it. And the faith of Joseph stood upon the Word of God. That is, the Word of God was the foundation of Joseph's faith. Now, let's take a look at a very famous and familiar passage of Scripture here in Romans chapter 10. I've already quoted verse 17. We begin in verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, now go back to verse <clears throat> 13. Whosoever, whosoever, what does it mean by that? The Bible always interprets itself when we just read it. Look at verse 12, verse 12. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Whosoever means Jew or Gentile. Whosoever, Jew or Gentile, that pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? Okay. Then he says, whosoever shall call. Now, what does that mean? Well, go back to verse 11. The scripture says, whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. To call on the Lord is to believe. It is to depend on him. It is to receive his word and him in the word. Okay? Whosoever, verse, back to verse 13, shall call upon the name of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, have you ever heard of a, a, a policeman say, Halt in the name of the law. Tell me what the law's name is. Is it Johnny? No, he means halt by the authority of the law. I, as a cop, as a policeman, as a sheriff, as an officer, I am a, uh, uh, an official that's authorized by the law to tell you to halt. Now, I don't want to get into all these political things that we see on uh, television today, but a lot of these shootings would not happen if people didn't resist the policemen. They always told me not to resist, you know. They told me if an officer said, put your hands on the car, I put them on the car. See, I, I hit a cop one time. I don't want to tell you too much about your pastor. That's why I don't invite a lot of folks that I know here, because they'll tell you too much. Uh, I didn't literally hit him. I hit him on his motorcycle. And he slid about a half a block, and it humiliated him. And he came back, made me put my hands on the car, and in about 30 minutes, I was in jail. <laughs> I tell you the rest of that story some other time. <laughs> but the officer, when he said, put your hands on the car, I put them up there. The Scripture says, don't resist. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans... You just keep reading. Get on over there to chapter 13, 14. You'll see that the Bible says that it is God who has authorized governments and people hired by the governments, like officers of the law, that that authority comes from God. See, the original authority is with God, but he has delegated authority to human beings. Policemen have delegated authority mayors and governors and presidents have delegated authority. If you're a parrot, you have delegated authority. 
God has given you certain authority to deal with your children. And now, of course, today the state is saying, we'll take care of your kids. You just get out there and work, and we'll take care of your kids. And, of course, we don't believe that. In the Scripture, we believe the parents have the last word. They are given delegated authority with their children. Okay. So the name of the Lord, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that means on his authority. And by the way, this phrase right here is taken from the prophet Joel, or Joel, chapter 2, verse 31. Joel, chapter 2, verse 31, which says, looks forward to the great day of judgment beginning with the age of the Messiah. Let me quote it for you. Joel chapter 2, verse 31. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Joel chapter 2, verse 31. These verses were quoted by Peter and the apostles on the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts chapter 2. Now here's the lesson for us. The birth of the Messiah, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. We believe Jesus is the Christ. Christ from the Greek, Messiah from the Hebrew, mean the anointed one, the promised one. So we believe that the birth of the Messiah, the Bible teaches that the birth of the Messiah, when Jesus was born, that is the beginning of the period of grace and truth which came by Jesus Christ, and that is the end of the era of law given by Moses. That's John chapter 1, verse 17. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, that the law was given by Moses. So when Jesus was born, that's the end of the law, that's the beginning of the period of grace and truth. Not that there wasn't truth in the law, but there was no redeeming truth in the law because doing the law won't redeem you. I sang earlier, Jesus has changed my whole life, not Moses. So doing the law won't save you. Even if you started doing the law today and you perfectly did the law in word, in thought, in deed, what's going to happen to your life before you started doing the law? Some people say, I'll turn over a new leaf. That's fine, but you got a bunch of old leaves back there you got to deal with before you turn over a new leaf. See, you can never be redeemed by doing. When somebody asks, what must I do? You say, that's just it. You don't do anything. What you do is you rest in the one who has done everything. You rest. It's the hardest thing in the world for us just to rest. When I'm sitting in a car and somebody like Keith is driving, I have a tendency to want to reach over and grab the steering wheel every once in a while. I'm wondering if he sees something coming up the road. I see it, but I don't know if he does. It's the same way with the Lord. We have this tendency to want to take control of us instead of just resting in him. So the birth of the Messiah, get this now, is the beginning of the period of grace and truth and the end of the era of law given by Moses. Number two, the birth of the Messiah, whom we believe to be Jesus of Nazareth, of course, marks, now this is important, 
The birth of Jesus marks the beginning of the end in terms of God's time clock for the human race. The writer to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 that God in time past spake unto the fathers by the prophets. He has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. You hear a lot of talk today about the last days. The last days have been going on since Jesus was born. Since Jesus was born. Doesn't Peter tell us that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day? What does that mean? It means time is nothing to God. It means Jesus was just here two days ago. If we take that literally. The, the idea there is we're on God's time clock and he's above time. Time is in God. God is not in time. So when Jesus was born, the last days began. We're in this age of the gospel, the, the gospel of grace. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Now, of course, we know now the personal name of the Lord upon whom we must call. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. See, the, old, the writers of Scripture, I, I, I just, I've got time, but you don't, for me to give everything to you. But the, the, the Hebrew scholars and the Greek scholars, they use a, a term, tetragrammaton. And what that means is, when they come to the name of God in the Old Testament, they don't know what the name of God was. They're just guessing. They're guessing it was Jehovah, or some of them are guessing it was Yahweh, because the vowels weren't written, only the consonants. A, E, I, O, U, and sometimes Y, those are your vowels, okay? So we got Brother Turner down here. His first name is Joe. Literally Joseph, but let's take Joe. Okay? Now, there are two vowels in Joe. O and E. Take that away, what you got left? You got J. But that's a letter J. That's not J-A-Y. So how do you pronounce his name? You don't know. So when they came to the name of God, instead of trying to put something down, they just translated it Lord. Lord. That's called a tetragrammaton, okay? That's just a secret between us girls. Don't let anybody know I told you that. Lord is usually the august name of God that we think of as Jehovah or Yahweh. Now, but now we don't have to worry about the personal name of God. We know his personal name. Listen to this. He has been exalted, he has been given a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And we know who the Lord is now. He has a name. And somebody says to you, well, the man upstairs, you say, hey, wait a minute. He's got a name. He's not the man upstairs. His name is Jesus. At the name of Jesus, 
People don't mind you talking about God. Don't want you talking about Jesus. You talk about God, you can be in a room filled with Buddhists and Hindus and Islam and animist, animism, all the rest of it. You say God, when they hear the term God, they just define in their own mind what they think God is. But when you reduce all that down and you say God has manifested himself, he has shown himself in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth is the God of creation. He is the God who holds things together. He is the God of redemption. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So we know the personal name of the Lord now. Okay, now watch. I can see I'm not going to be able to finish today. So I lied earlier. I said this would be the last study. I'll probably have to bring one more. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved in most translations. Joel says in chapter 2, verse 32, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be delivered. Delivered. The word save means to be delivered. And in Joel, it means to escape. He uses the word malot. He talks about a future event, Joel does, in Joel chapter, chapter 2. He's talking about a future event referring to an action that's about to be accomplished, but it hasn't yet begun. But it was accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what one Hebrew scholar says about that term, it shall come to pass, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered, Joel 2.32, shall be saved, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Here's what a Hebrew scholar says about that. He said, this calling on God supposes knowledge of him, faith in him, desire toward him, dependence on him, and as an evidence of the sincerity of all this, a conscientious obedience to him, for without that crying, Lord, Lord, will not stand us in any stead. That's a good statement. In other words, I can't call on the name of the Lord with any real meaning unless I'm calling on him ready to do what he says. When Paul the Apostle was on the road to Damascus and Jesus came as a bright light and blinded him and threw him to the ground... Saul, Saul, why did you persecute me? Who was Saul persecuting? He's persecuting the people of God. You see, the people of God are part of the spiritual body of Christ. When you persecute the people of God, you're persecuting Christ. He's the head, they're the body. So I said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. And then he said what? What would you have me to do? That's the attitude. When we call on the name of the Lord, 
What would you have me to do? Well, the first thing, of course, we do is we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now look at verse 16. But they have not all, all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, who has believed the report? Now, my friends, listen to me. It is very clear here that to obey means to believe the report. See, he says, they have not all obeyed. And then he says, Isaiah said, they haven't believed. To believe is to obey. To believe is to obey. There can be no saving faith where there's no heart to obey. And there can be no gospel obedience where there is no faith. The Lord upon whom we believe has done the work for us and he does the work in us. Justification is our legal standing before the Lord. Sanctification, our separation unto the Lord. And regeneration, the beginning of the work of the Lord to conform us to the image of his Son, cannot be separated. Those works cannot be separated. Justification, uh, uh, sanctification, which means being separated unto the Lord, is the same word, hagiazo, same word translated holy. Holy and sanctification, same word, saint. Okay, we got, we got a bunch of saints out here today. A saint is someone who's separated unto the Lord by grace through faith. Okay? And a person who's separated in the Lord is looked upon by the Lord as holy. You're separated unto him. So justification, which is our standing before God's law, sanctification, which is separated unto the Lord, regeneration, which is the beginning of the work of God in conforming us to the image of his Son. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, according to Ephesians chapter 1. God loves his son so much, he's going to have everybody just like him. He's going to have a whole multitude of people, which no man can number, just like his son. We are imperfect here, but we shall be perfected. We shall be conformed. So this whole thing of calling upon the name of the Lord is the beginning of the conforming of us to the image of the Lord. Now notice... Look at the order. Let me, I may be able to finish most of what I have to say. Look at this order here. He says, whosoever shall call, in verse 13. Then he says, whosoever shall believe, in verse 14. He says, whosoever shall hear, in verse 14. He says, whosoever shall be taught or witnessed unto. How shall I hear without a preacher? That doesn't just mean somebody standing behind a pulpit or election. It means they don't have a witness. They have to have a witness, somebody who witnesses to them. And then he says, Whosoever shall cross paths with sent messengers of God to bring the good tidings. He said, How shall they preach except they be sent? Verse 15. And then he says, Whosoever shall obey the gospel through faith. That's verse 16. And then he says... That faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's verse 17. Now, 
that's the order that's given. Calling, believing, hearing, being taught, or witnessed unto, crossing paths with the messenger of God who brings the good tidings, and obeying the gospel through faith. But to understand what it's saying, you have to read it in reverse, reverse order. When you were born, a lot of things happened before your birth to make you a real person. And it's the same way with being born again. So here's why we read it in reverse. We start with verse 17. One hears the word of God, especially the good news of the gospel, the report that Isaiah speaks about in Isaiah 53. Number two, one hears from God by means of the messenger, here called the preacher that he has sent, the person who, whom the Lord crossed your path with, somebody who witnessed to you. Somebody who mentioned the Lord Jesus to you or told you something about the gospel. And then the hearer hears from that witness, they hear of Christ. And they believe on Christ and they call on Christ to be saved. And so we find out that the Father is behind it all. So we can say it this way. Whosoever shall call has been called. Whosoever shall love has been loved. We love him because he first loved us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We call on him because he called us. We sought him because he first sought us. We believe on him because he has given us faith to believe. We praise him and give him all the glory because he's the author, he's the sustainer, and he's the finisher of our faith. Now, my friends, we are by nature, the natural man that we read about in 1 Corinthians 2.14, we are by nature the children of Adam, and the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. Now, let me close by making these remarks. Did Adam seek the Lord, or did the Lord seek Adam? When Adam sinned, did he seek the Lord and say, I have sinned? No, the Lord sought him. Did Adam call on the Lord, or did the Lord call Adam? Adam, where are you? You reckon he knew where he was? Oh, he knew where he was, but Adam didn't know where he was. Did Adam make a promise that he would do better, or did the Lord make a promise in Genesis 3.15 that he would save him through the seed of the woman, the promised Messiah? Did Adam draw the first blood, or did the Lord, the Lord draw first blood? You see, Adam, by his own works, tried to make an apron of fig leaves to cover his nakedness and hide his shame, but the Lord made him a coat of skins taken from slain animals. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, And unto Adam and his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothe them. Question, who killed the animals? Who slew the animals? The Lord himself. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Hebrews 9, 22. What do you suppose the Lord was teaching Israel by the thousands of sacrifices that he demanded? 
the sin offerings, the peace offerings, the burnt offerings, the meat offerings, Passover, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. What was he teaching them? He was teaching them, number one, sin demands death. He told Adam, in the day you eat, you will surely die. And he didn't die. He didn't die because God provided a substitute for him. God said, I'll kill these animals and I'll clothe your nakedness with their skin. And so he was giving them a picture, a figure, a photograph, if you please, of what their sin demands. Their sin demands death. And he was giving them a photograph of substitution. Either you die, Adam, for your sins, or something else dies in your place. And all those sacrifices teaching Israel the gospel through types and shadows and figures. So Joseph is a man who has the gift of receiving the things of the Spirit of God. Joseph is a man who has the gift of receiving the things of the Spirit of God because he has the gift of faith. Joseph receives the things of God through faith, which is the receiver. And Joseph came to faith by hearing the word of God. Joseph's faith is genuine. You know how we know? We know his faith is genuine because of the object of his faith. And what is the object of his faith? The one true and living God. I'll take it up there next week. A lot of us have faith in our faith. Well, the week after next. Next week I've talked to you about the resurrection, don't I? Joseph's faith was in the true and living God. His faith was not in anything he had done. His faith was not in himself. His faith was not in his faith. His faith was in his God who spoke to him. And in that word that came to him. And that's exactly the way it must be with us. May the Lord add his blessings on the teaching of his word. Let's stand together. Now you've heard it this morning for 45, 50 minutes. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now look, coming down the aisle and giving me your hand is not calling on the Lord. Signing a card and meeting me next Sunday is not calling on the Lord. Joining the church is not calling on the Lord. Even being baptized, that's not calling on the Lord. You in your own heart must call on the Lord. You call on the Lord. Lord, I've heard your word. I believe your word. Have mercy on me for the sake of Jesus. I believe that Jesus is Messiah. I believe Jesus is my substitute. I have no hope. I have no righteousness except in the Lord Jesus. I'm trusting him. What would you have me to do? Now, if you want to confess Christ in baptism, I think you should. But baptism doesn't save you. Baptism does not wash your sins away. You call on the Lord in your own heart. Between you and the Lord, in the recesses of your soul, you call on the Lord. And you believe his word and you receive his son, who is the Messiah. That's the way people are saved. That's the way they're saved.
Our Father, I call upon you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would bless your word to the souls of all who have heard it, and that the Spirit of God will be pleased to work in hearts, bring people to faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. All right, let's sing our song, Under the Blood. Under the blood of Jesus, safe in the shepherd's fold. Under the blood of Jesus, safe by the say go in peace and may the Lord go with you, work in you that which is well pleasing in his sight, in the name and for the sake of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.